All right, well, we are going to continue tonight with our series on the Baptist Faith of Message. Um, and last week we started the section on salvation, which is divided up into a few uh, subsections. And uh, two weeks ago it, it was, we didn't have church last week, but two weeks ago, um, Pastor Josh preached about regeneration and then faith and repentance. And if you remember, um, we can think of salvation, sometimes we think of like being born again as kind of a synonym for salvation. Um, and, and that's okay. We can talk about that. People talk about like someone being a born-again Christian or people describe themselves as a born-again Christian, and that's okay. But the way, that, the way that we're kind of looking at salvation and the way that the Baptist faith, the message has salvation laid out, salvation is kind of this umbrella term of, um, of kind of the whole process, right? And then, and then it's divided up into several subsections, um, and, and those are kind of in the order um, not necessarily in chronological order, because most of the time um, these things kind of happen all at, all at the same time simultaneously, um, but, they're, but it's broken up into kind of the logical order of what causes what, how, how, they, how it kind of flows, how salvation kind of flows. And so uh, two weeks ago, Josh uh, taught us what the Baptist Faith and Message says, what we believe the Bible says about regeneration, being born again, the, the beginning, uh, kind of the first objective step in salvation where God takes a, a dead sinner and, and makes him alive. And then, uh, and then our response to that is to believe and repent of our sins. And then so tonight we're going to look at justification, and justification is the result of faith and repentance. So God acts first in regenerating uh, someone, giving someone a new heart. That person then believes and repents, and then God responds with, um, with justification. And if you have your uh, Baptist Faith and Message, I hope you have a copy of it. If not, we have them uh, in, the, in the back of the sanctuary, which is the front of the church, which is kind of confusing, but that's how it is. Um, and if you need even a large print one, we have those back there as well. But if you look at it, there's, there's not really a whole lot in the Baptist Faith and Message about justification. It's one of the shorter, uh, one of the shorter sections. And yet I think we're going to see it's one of, the, um, one, of the, one of the biggest, one of the most foundational um, doctrines that, that's in the Baptist faith and message. But here's what it says. It says, justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in, in Christ. So you see it's a result of repenting and believing. Uh, justification, it says, brings the believer into, into a relationship of peace and favor with God. There's some, uh, some big words in that short uh, short two sentences, um, and some, some really big concepts in those short two sentences, and so that's what we want to get into um, tonight. A, a couple of, uh, of quotes about justification. One of them is from Martin Luther. Martin Luther famously said that, um, that this is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. This is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. This is how important the doctrine of justification is. If we get this right, then we're right in line, right kind of on our way to have a good, healthy church. Um, but if we get this wrong, then we're right in line, right on the road to having uh, lots, of, lots of problems in the church and, and, and even, even having a different understanding, a, a wrong understanding of the gospel itself. Sinclair Ferguson, who's a, uh, a Presbyterian pastor in South Carolina, he, he wrote this. He said, probably more trouble is caused in the Christian life by an inadequate or mistaken view of this doctrine than any other. Talk about believers, in the life of believers. 
More trouble is caused in their Christian life. Probably more trouble is caused in their Christian life by an inadequate or mistaken view of this doctrine than any other. When the child of God loses his sense of peace with God, finds his concern for others dried up, or generally finds his sense of sheer goodness and grace of God diminished, it is often from this fountain that he has ceased to drink. And so we want to look tonight at what, what does justification mean? What does that word mean? Uh, we're going to look at some other kind of, kind of bigger words as we go along. We're going to see what the Bible says about um, justification. And so I want to try to answer um, three questions. Number one, what is justification? Number two, how are people justified? And then number three, what is the result of justification? What is justification? How are people justified? And then what is the result, the result of justification or what flows from um, justification? I picked this book up not long ago. Um, I saw it at a, at a used bookstore, I think, but it's written by uh, this guy named J.I. Packer. Some of you may know that name. He's a really good, uh, really good faithful Bible teacher, theologian. Um, he may be a pastor too, I'm not sure, uh, from Canada. But he's got this book called 18 Words and um, just short chapters on, on different words that, that we need to be familiar with as believers. And he has a chapter on justification. And here's what he says about justification. One of the things he says about justification. He says, it's, it's, it's kind of long, so bear with me. He says, to justify in the Bible means to declare righteous. To, de to declare, that is, of a man on trial that he is not liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. It is an act of administering the law which settles a person's relation to the law. This is so whether the judge in the case is human or as here divine. The Church of Rome, the Catholic Church, has always maintained that God's act of justifying is primarily, if not wholly, in making one righteous by inner spiritual renewal. But there's no biblical or linguistic ground for this view, though it goes back at least as far as Augustine. Paul's synonyms for justify are reckon or impute righteousness, forgive or remit sins, not reckon sins. All these phrases which express the idea not of the inner transformation, but of conferring a legal status and canceling of legal liability. Justification is a judgment passed on man, not a work wrought within man. God's, act, God's gift of a status and a relationship to himself not of a new heart. We already saw two weeks ago, that's called regeneration. Certainly God does regenerate those whom he justifies, but the two things are not the same. And so his point is, what he's wanting to get across is that justification is something that happens outside of us. Justification is something that happens outside of us. It's a, it's a legal declaration, and we're going to get into that in a minute. Justification is not something that happens inside of us. Justification is not God making us holy. It's not God making us righteous. There are some words that mean that, and we're going to talk about those in a couple of weeks. Sanctification, glorification. God does work inside of us to make us holy. God does work inside of us to make us godly and to make us righteous. But that's not what justification means. And this is a really big deal. This is one of the reasons that Martin Luther said this is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. Getting this right 
is really important. Getting this right really matters. And this is really the, the most important difference between Protestant churches like ours and the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church says that when God justifies a sinner, he's doing something inside of the sinner. Protestant churches like, like ours, Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches, um, other evangelical churches, Protestant churches say that, that, no, God does do something inside the sinner, but that's not justification. Justification is something that happens outside of us. Something that happens outside of us. It's something that, that, that God does. So what is justification? Simply put, justification is, is a legal declaration. Right? Just think about how we use the word justify in, in everyday conversation. may not use it that much, but when we do use it, what, what we're meaning by that is we're, we're proving ourselves right. right. We're proving ourselves right. To justify something is to prove that it's okay, to prove it's right. Sometimes we use that in a negative connotation, right? where we do something wrong and we try to justify ourselves. And, and in that, what we mean by that is that I've done something wrong, but I'm trying to show that I really wasn't wrong. Right? Sometimes we use justify in a negative sense like that. But we can also use justify in a positive sense. Um, and and a, a, a synonym of justify is to vindicate. To vindicate, to prove that you were right. To prove uh, that, that you were in the right. And this is how the Bible uses this word justify. Look, look with me to Romans chapter 4. We're going to turn a few different places um, tonight before we're finished. But, but look with me to Romans chapter 4. starting at verse 1. And I'm going to read from the, from the English Standard Version. Um, there's, a, there's a really important word. Remember, we, we say before, Josh said a couple weeks ago, we don't, we don't really value big words and don't put a lot of stock in big words, but there are some big words that are in the Bible that we need to know. And justify is one of them. Justification, justified, uh, justifying. Those words is, is one group of words that we need to know. There's another one that's in some of the older translations that's uh, the word impute. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version tonight, and, and the word, the word that's, that's, uh, that's replaced impute is count. Okay? And so as I read, as I read these first 12 verses in, in Romans chapter 4, in your, in your head, count the number of times Paul says count. Okay? He says, uh, or you don't have to count them, but just notice them. That's what I mean. There's not a test or anything. Uh, so he says, what, shall we, what, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So Paul's taking a case study here. He's been talking about justification in chapter 3, and we're going to look at that chapter later. And so now he's taking an example of Abraham. What about Abraham? Was he justified by works, or was he justified by, by faith? And he says here, he was justified by faith. If he had been justified by works, he could have boasted, but not before God. Verse 3 says, for what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, or it was imputed to him, or it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or imputed or reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose, laws, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walked in the footsteps of their father of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And so the point Paul's making is that God justified Abraham. God declared Abraham to be righteous. God counted righteousness to him. He credited righteousness to him. He imputed righteousness to him, right? And it wasn't because of works that Abraham had done. It was because Abraham believed him, right? He says, because, you know, someone could look, someone could look back, one of, the, one of the Jews of this time could look back and say, yeah, Abraham was justified, but God counted him righteous. God declared him to be holy and righteous and, and, and that he had obeyed the law because he obeyed the law, because he did what God told him to do. He was circumcised the way that God told him to be circumcised. But Paul says, no, if you look back at that actual story in Genesis 15 and you look at the details of it, Abraham was justified or counted righteous before he was circumcised. He was counted righteous or imputed righteous or credited righteous because of his belief, not because of his obedience, not because of his works. So what is justification? It's a legal declaration where God, as our judge, looks at us and declares us to be innocent, declares us to be not guilty, declares us to be righteous. So God regenerates us. God gives us a new heart, takes out the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. We come to life. We uh, repent of our sins, turn from our sins. We believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. And based on that, God declares as a, as a judicial um, uh, statement, as a, as a judge on, on the bench, declares that we are, because of that, righteous. That we are holy. That we, are, uh, that, that we have done what's required uh, of, of the law. We're righteous. We're right, right? Um, Miller Derrickson says this. He says, justification is God's action, right? And this, this, this is so important. This is why, why I was saying before that justification is not something that happens inside of us. It's something that happens outside of us because it's not something that we do. It's something that God does on our behalf. It's something that God does on our behalf. Justification is God's action, pronouncing sinners righteous in his sight. We have been forgiven and we've been declared to have fulfilled all that God's law requires of us. This is what justification is. Think about the, the, think about the Bible. Think about the Old Testament. Think about the law in the Old Testament. Right? And we're going to get into this in a minute. But God says, in order for you to be my people, in order for you to be acceptable to me, you have to keep the law, right? And so when we believe in Jesus, when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, God declares us to have kept the law. He declares us to be righteous. He declares us to be, um, to be innocent, but not just innocent, but he declares us to have kept the law, right? There's a, a difference in not breaking the law and keeping the law, right? And God has, has, uh, has declared us to have kept the law. So what is justification? Justification is this, this um, 
this legal declaration. The, the hammer bangs the, 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 on, the, on the bench, and the judge declares the person not guilty. And so there's, we, have, we have no um, obligations to the law. We have kept the law. We are, uh, we are righteous according to the law's demands. Okay? That's what justification is. So how is it that people are justified? Hopefully you've already kind of seen, you're already kind of thinking in your, in your mind, there, there's a problem here, right? I don't know if you've picked up on it yet, but there's a, there's a problem here. You don't have to turn here, but listen to what Proverbs 17, 15 says. Proverbs 17, 15. says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So here's the problem. Justification is this legal declaration where God declares us to be righteous. The problem is, as we all know, we're not righteous, right? God declares that we have kept the law the problem is we haven't kept the law. And this is one reason that the, the Catholic Church says that justification is something that happens inside of us because they, they say that the Protestant view that, that justification is something that God declares outside of us, they say that that's just a legal fiction. It's not true. God declares us to be righteous, but we're not really righteous. So how is it that God can do that? How is it that God can declare us to be righteous if, if we're not? How is it that 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 people are justified. How is it that God can justify people? Well, let's look at a, at a couple of passages. Uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Deuteronomy 27. We're not going to read all of this, but we're going to read we're going to read some of it. Starting in verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all of Israel, "Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Go down to verse 15. He says, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So, so Moses is declaring these things, and the people are responding with amen every time he says them. He says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner. Now we, could, we could keep reading all these, all these curses you know, continue through there. Skip over to chapter 28, verse 15. He says, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I, that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. So God lays out these, these curses. He says, here's my law. You're my people. Here's my law. Keep my law. If you don't keep my law, then these curses are going are to come upon you. Right? Curses being 
punishments or uh, you know, these, these bad things that are going to come upon you. So that's the, the one, side, one side of it. Look at the beginning of chapter 28, though. Chapter 28, verse 1. He says, if you are faithful, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Before, he says, if you don't obey, the curses are going to overtake you. Now he says, if you do obey, the blessings are going to overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field, and blessed shall the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. So God has set this up to where he has a, a standard. He has a law. He has a, a standard based on, his, on who he is. And if we obey the standard, if we measure up to the standard, then we receive blessings. If we don't measure up to the standard, then we receive curses. And the whole thing about justification is, in, in the moment of justification, God bangs his, his hammer, his gavel, as the judge of the universe, and he says that we have deserved the blessings, we've not deserved the curses. But if we all know our lives, we know that we haven't obeyed the law, right? We know that we haven't done the things that we're supposed to do perfectly. And so how is it that God can declare that we have earned these blessings and, and, and have not earned the curses? Well, turn with me to, to the New Testament, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Paul says in verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law, he's talking here about justification. How is it that we're going to become righteous? How is it, how is it that we're going to live um, with God? For all who rely on works of the law are under, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. That's what we just read in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, right? Paul's saying one of the ways that we could be righteous, one of the ways that we could be, uh, could, could be perfect and could be justified is that we could obey the law. But he says that's not really an option for us because we haven't obeyed the law. So if we try, if we try to be righteous by obeying the law, then we're going to be cursed because we haven't obeyed the law perfectly. That's what, that's what Deuteronomy 27 and 28 say. If you haven't, uh, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, verse 11, he says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God that way, right? No one's justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. No one's justified by God by the law, or before God by the law, because nobody has kept the law. So if, if we're just going by the law, then all of us are cursed. None of us are blessed. We're all cursed. He says, the, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, he says, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And then listen to verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So how is it that God justifies us? Well, he takes the, the curse that we deserve, the curse that we've earned by disobeying the law, he takes the curse that should rightly fall on us, and he puts that curse on Jesus. He, put that, he puts that curse on Jesus, 
right? But as, as I've kind of talked before in different settings, that doesn't make us righteous. That doesn't make us righteous. If we think of righteousness and unrighteousness as, as like, a, like a big number line, right, from, from 100 up here to negative 100 down here, and God takes, we, we've got this curse because we've disobeyed, and God takes the curse off of us, where does that put us on the number line of righteousness? It puts us at zero, right? Because the curse has come off because we, we, we no longer have the curse of disobeying the law, but we also haven't obeyed the law. And so we haven't earned the blessings. We're just kind of in this neutral ground, right? But that's not all that, that God has done. Continue on in, verse, uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So not only has God taken the curse of our sins and put it on Jesus, but God has also taken the blessing and given it to us. Okay? Now, he doesn't explicitly say exactly how God does that, but if we listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll, we'll see very clearly how he does that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that is, God made Jesus to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what's happened is Jesus has come, taken on flesh, taken on humanity, lived our life for us, where we disobeyed and earned the curses, Jesus perfectly obeyed his entire life and earned the blessings. And, and in God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness and God's love and God's uh, grace toward us, he's taken us and Jesus and swapped places with us. He's taken the curses that, that we deserved and he's put those on Jesus. And he's taken the blessings that Jesus deserves and he's given those to us. He's given those to us. And this happens by faith. If we trust uh, in Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, then this, this transfer happens, this switch happens. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. This is the passage we read at the beginning of the service, but this is a, a key passage when we're talking about justification. Because here's the problem. When we come to the, to the New Testament, we come to talking about justification, here's, here's the problem. Uh, look at verse, starting at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25 says, whom God put forward as a propitiation. There's another big word. We need to know what that means. Propitiation, some translation may say a, a sacrifice of atonement or an atoning sacrifice or propitiation. Propitiation is a sacrifice that removes the wrath of God. It's a sacrifice that's offered to God and removes the wrath of God toward us. And that, that's what Jesus did. But it says that God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And now listen to this. Because here's the whole problem of justification. And this is why the Catholic Church wants to say that it's something that happens inside of us. Here's the whole problem of justification right here. It says this was to show God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness. So when we talk about justification, 
who is it that's being justified in the gospel? Who is it that the gospel justifies? Well, it justifies sinners because it takes someone who's not right and makes us right. But, but in, in, in maybe even a more important way, the gospel justifies God. The gospel justifies God in the sense of vindicate, right? Not making God righteous, right? Well, we talked about that. The Catholic says that justification makes us righteous. No, justification doesn't make us righteous. Justification declares us righteous. Justification doesn't make God righteous. Justification declares, shows, proves, vindicates that God was righteous all along. Let's keep going. See why that even matters. It says, this was to show or to prove that God really is righteous because in his divine forbearance, in his, in his mercy, in his patience, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Think about all these Old Testament people. Think about Moses. Think about David. Think about Noah. Think about uh, Abraham. Think about all these Old Testament people that, 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 God had, uh, that God had saved, right? Think about David. God says that David was a man after his own heart. Well, David wasn't that good of a guy, right? We know the story of David. We know the history of David. We know the things that David did. David wasn't a perfect guy, and yet God says he was a man after his own heart. Well, how can that be? Is, is God just kind of forgetting David's sin? Is God just saying that sin doesn't matter, that David being unrighteous, we can just kind of sweep it under the rug and forget about that, and I'm just going to accept him anyway? Absolutely not. That's why God's righteousness was in question, because they're, because they're looking at God. This was to show God's righteousness because the reason his righteousness needed to be shown was because he had passed over former sins without punishing them. How can God be a good judge if he's not judging sin? How can God be a good judge if he's not executing, exercising perfect justice? Verse 26 says, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And this is the whole problem of the, that the gospel answers. How is it that God who is perfect, holy, righteous, good, all those things, how is it that he can declare sinners to be righteous, to be innocent when we're not? How is it that God can declare sinners to be innocent and God still be good and righteous and just and true and, and a good judge? How can those two things be? We're not innocent. So how can God declare us to be innocent and him still stay a good judge? The answer is, is the gospel. The answer is, is here. He says, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be the one who justifies us, might be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? He says it's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We hold that, God, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So how is it that God can be good, holy, right, all those things, and justify sinners? It's because he put Jesus forward as a propitiation for our sins. It's because he put Jesus forward to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty that our sins deserved. It's not that God says, you know what, David's got some sins, but you can still be a man after my own heart, and we'll just kind of forget about those sins. No, God judged those sins but he judged them in Jesus instead of judging them in, in David. How is it that God can say that we're justified? How is it that God can say that we're righteous, that we deserve the blessings when we don't deserve the blessings? Is he just forgetting the, the fact that we have these curses and he's just saying that, that doesn't matter, we'll just kind of forget about that and pretend like you're righteous. No, 
those curses have been executed. Those curses have been, uh, whatever the word is, have been executed. They've, they, they've been done. They, they were done on Jesus. Jesus became a curse for us so that we can become blessed in, in him. This is, this is the heart of, of the gospel. This is why Martin Luther said that, that this doctrine is, is, that this is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls. If we get this right, we get the gospel right. If we get this wrong, we get the gospel wrong. So what is justification? It's this, this legal declaration, this, this judgment that God makes that declares us to be righteous. And how does he do it? He does it by judging our sins in his son Jesus and giving us Jesus' obedience, giving us Jesus' perfect righteousness. As believers in Jesus, can we say that we've kept the Ten Commandments? Yes. Yes. Because Jesus kept the Ten Commandments for us. And he gave us that obedience. He gave us the, the credit of that obedience. He imputed that to us. Right? Can I say that I've kept the law perfectly? Yes. Because Jesus kept the law perfectly for me. Right? We don't want to go crazy with that because we know that, that we're sinners and we want to keep that in balance. But you understand what I'm saying. We can say those things are true because Jesus has done those things for us. And God has given that, that uh, obedience to us. He's credited that obedience to us. So what is justification? It's this legal declaration that we are righteous before God, that we are just before God, that we are, 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 are worthy of, of being in his presence. How does it happen? Because God has, has poured out his wrath against our sins on Jesus. He's put the curses that we deserved onto Jesus, and he's given us Jesus' obedience. He's credited Jesus' righteousness to us. That's why we sing... On, on Christ the solid rock, right? That's why we sing, um, however the song goes, but it, the, the one verse that says, um, in his, dressed in his righteousness alone, right? Faultless to stand before the throne, however that goes, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. How is it that we're gonna be able to stand faultless before God? Not because we've obeyed the law, but because we're dressed in Jesus' righteousness. He's given us his obedience. And so we, we're clothed in that, this is why Revelation talks about being clothed in the, in the robes of white and, and those kind of images, right? So this is how it happens. Now, really quickly, what is the result of justification? What comes from justification? Well, turn with me to close to Romans chapter 5. What comes from justification? What is the fruit of justification? Several things. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so all that, all that we're going to read after this is, is based on us being justified. Because we've been justified by faith, these next things are true. Since we've been justified by faith, first of all, number one, in verse 1, we have peace with God. Because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. And that's not just kind of a, a peaceful feeling, you know, where we're all kind of in, in, a, in, a, in a good mood with one another. It's, it's that we're no longer at war with God. We're no longer at war with God. We have peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, we have access to God. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
verses 3 through 8, we also have confidence in suffering. He says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when things are not going good in life, when things are, are, are going bad, when we're in, in, in the middle of different kinds of sufferings, we don't have to question whether God's turned his back on us or not. We don't have to question whether God's rejecting us or not. We don't have to question whether those sufferings are, are curses from God because of our sin if we've been justified by faith. We have confidence uh, in, in the midst of suffering. In verse 9, it says, We have salvation from the wrath to come. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, this is the propitiation, right? The blood was poured out for our sins and we're covered in that. That's the propitiation. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Listen to this. Uh, again, from this book by J.I. Packer. He says, this hope is a certainty about us being pardoned, us being forgiven because of our justification by faith in Christ. This hope is a certainty for the justifying sentence is the judgment of the last day brought forward into the present. It is a final verdict which we will never, which will never be reversed. God has declared us innocent now it's bringing that final, final verdict from Judgment Day into the present. We've already been declared righteous, and he's not going to go back on that. We have peace with God. We have access with God. We have uh, access to God. We have confidence even in sufferings. We have salvation from the wrath to come. And then look at verses 10 and 11. We have reconciliation. We've been brought together with God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then finally, it's, it's not mentioned explicitly in this passage, but a final thing I would add is that because we've been justified by faith in Jesus, we have assurance of our salvation. We have assurance that God has saved us, right? If we're trying to be saved by works, we're never going to have assurance, because we're never going to be assured that we've done enough. We're never going to be uh, confident that that, that 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 balance is, is in our favor. But if we're justified by faith in what Jesus has done, then we have full assurance because he has done it for us, and we can trust that that's enough. So we have peace with God. We have access to God. We have confidence even in suffering. We have salvation from the wrath to come. We have reconciliation with God, and we have assurance that God has forgiven us, that God has saved us. Let's pray. Father God, we are, are so thankful tonight that you have done this work. And God, this is something we confess that if it were up to us, we could not have done it. In fact, it was up to us, and we did not do it. None of us have obeyed your word. None of us have obeyed your law. All of us have brought curses down upon ourselves. And yet, God, you sent your son Jesus to take those curses from us. You sent your son Jesus to obey your law perfectly, to earn your blessings, to earn your righteousness, and to give that to us. And God, I pray that everybody here uh, right now has repented of our sins, has believed in Jesus, has trusted in him, 
and that what we've been talking about tonight is true for every one of us. And God, I pray you'd help us to stand on this foundation as, as individuals and as a church, that Jesus Christ justifies sinners, that you justify sinners through Jesus. And God, might we take that message to those around us, that there is salvation, not in what we can do, not in what they can do, but there's salvation in what Jesus has done. And God, we thank you for that, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all.